I have, uh, I usually have notes. Um, seems the more I prepare for things, the less notes I have. It's often how it is with me in life. The more I think about things, the more I feel that the things I've written are not actually worthy of being on the page. And so today I have one sticky note, a drawing, and a title. I've learned that the more notes I can get in my Bible, and now I'm just not going off the cuff and saying that I'm an idiot and I haven't bothered to prepare because I've been reading and reading and reading and reading and reading and stewing and reading and stewing, but as I found out in the chili cook-off, if you let the stew go for too long, even a really good stew that's meant to be cooked for a long time will eventually burn. So sometimes you just got to get stuff on the page and pray that God gets you through the rest of the sermon because that's ultimately what I'm trying to go for here. If I don't get God in the pages, uh, it'd be like I just threw a bunch of uh, mud in a, in a pot and stewed it the same amount of time that a good stew would be stewed, but it's mud, so it's not going to taste good to you at all, regardless of what's in the pot and how long it's been taken care of. So with that said, if you could please turn in your Bibles to the, uh, the, book, the book of Elijah. Some of y'all, I could get you. Like it's the book of Elijah, and you're looking, you're flipping through your Bible, and as I try to confuse you again, I would say Hezekiah, and you're turning to the book of Hezekiah, which also doesn't exist. Uh, it's good to uh, go through the, you know, get kids in church when they're little and they're young, because I learned that Hezekiah, I got fooled when I was about say, eight or nine years old. Uh, Hezekiah and the book of Elijah, and I realized at eight or nine years old that those books didn't exist. Um, we go into the jails, and half the time they don't even know what the Bible is, so... <laughs> It's good. It's good. Uh, you know, every time I, I'm in the car and I have my kids singing songs and they'll just, you know, kids do, they'll just go off and off into La La Land and, you know, the immaculate contraption and all the kinds of crazy things that kids hear. And then they regurgitate their versions of whatever they hear. Uh, and, and it's funny sometimes that you hear those things, but also it kind of gets you to think that, man, I, it's, I'm glad that they have something to at least mess up, you know. I'm glad that they, have, that they have something that is going in and it may not come out correctly because they're not old enough to even know what the word is that they're trying to say, but they've been taught enough stuff that, that they're, they're growing. That's good. That's important. That shows me that people like Adam and Jesse are doing their jobs. People like Joe and Paige are doing their jobs. People like Dad, he's doing his job. Why? Because I'm starting to see, just watching my kids and other kids, that people are doing their jobs in this church. People are growing in this church. It's good to hear somebody talk about Levi all the time. Maybe they're not talking about you, but I remember back when Levi came to church, man. I remember back when Bobby came to church. I remember inviting Robert the drunk. And he believed, of all the people that came, Robert, I don't know if he ever was not a drunk when he came. <laughs> So it was like the guy who said, you know, he's been the church drunk for 15 years and he's actually been clean 14 of those years. I don't know if Robert ever stopped drinking when he came to church, but I, you've been there when you see you watch people grow and mature. And that's good. And that has nothing to do with what I'm preaching on tonight. It's just good. To, it's good to see that stuff. And if you don't think about that, you ought to think about it, because that's why you come to church is to grow. And if you don't think about man, maybe I'm it's been 20 years and I'm not any farther down the road. You ought to uh, do something about that because it ain't God's fault. Amen. It's your fault. We'll find ourselves starting out uh, here in the book of, I said, 1 Kings chapter 17 in my brain. And then I did not say it out of my mouth. So if you can go ahead and flip there. 1 Kings chapter number 17. I have a couple examples, illustrations and things of that nature. My title is... Change of plans. I also have a title that I crossed out. When God allows interruption in your life. Or when God allows things to interrupt your good plans. Sometimes when God changes your plans, it's actually because God's plans are in fact better than your plans. Regardless of how good your plans are. And while you're all sitting there staring at chapter number 17 of the book of 1 Kings, I'm going to go ahead and read something I read today in Revelation chapter number 12. And it kind of ties in with the songs that we're just saying. And it talks about the great wonder in heaven, you know, the, wood, the woman clothed with the sun, moon under her feet. And it talks about a war in heaven. It says, there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And man, it's going to be a great time when the devil and his angel's place is no longer found in heaven. When you get to be on the flip side of that, watching all that transpire, and you watch the devil. Man, I'm telling you what. 
What does it say here? What does it say? I don't want to get all steamed up too fast, but we're already like, you know, the teapot's just being compressed right now. Uh, it would maybe make some good tea out of it later on if we don't blow all over the place here. And prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil. Sometimes people like to say, well, Leviathan over in the book of Job isn't really, you know, and over in the book of Daniel and over in the book here and there. Yeah, that's not, you know, there's all, these are all separate beings. Well, you know, there's places in the Bible where it just kind of ties everything together for the morons who don't know how to get everything. You know, you know they, they got to over-educate everything. And I remember, I remember sitting in religion class and the guy trying to say, well, Satan and Lucifer and the devil, those are all really three separate people in the Bible. Okay. The old serpent called the devil and Satan. Okay. Which deceived the whole world. That pretty much throws everything bad that we see from, Gen from the book, beginning of Genesis all the way to the end. That one guy who is responsible for all that kind of ties them all up in one place. He was cast out in the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. It's going to be a great time when the devil that we all know, oftentimes we forget that he's up there day and night. He's got way more time. Believe me, he, he utilizes his time way better than any, any one of us in here. He knows his time is short. The Bible says it right there in chapter number 12, I think like 1 through 3, 4. He knows his time is short. Sometimes we don't know our time short. You know what this year was? It was a wake-up call for a lot of people. You realize that a lot of people's lives, their time was short. I was just out to lunch. We got a chance to spend two days with the Grays over there in Miltonville Baptist Temple, or Miltonville Baptist Church, excuse me. His dad's time was 30 years, married to his mother, gone. Got sick, got put in the medical system, medical system, decisions made there, gone. Perfectly healthy, gone. Miss Marty, gone. Bobby, gone. Preachers and teachers, people that we know across this world, across this earth, across this planet, gone. Your time was short. And sometimes God allows things to go and, and plans to go. And, and the reason we make plans usually is because we, we kind of see things progressing and, and we feel like we have more time. We feel like we have, we have more place. We, we feel like we can, we can you know, get a scheme or a system together where we can do something out here. I want to go on vacation, so i got to do all these things right here. I want to go down to Jacksonville. There's good plans. And I want to play, and I want to sing, and maybe I want to preach, or I want to go do something. I want to prepare for the mission field. We make plans for things. And sometimes God, even though your plans may be good, he has to remind you every once in a while that your time is short and that he is, in fact, God. We are not. And he has the right and the authority to interrupt those plans whenever he so chooses to do so. That's just something worth knowing, I think, as we're over here um, in chapter number 17. I'm going to get there myself. I'm going to tie that, book, or that verse in Revelation. I'm going to tie that into the message. That's important to know. There's little bits and pieces of the Bible that are just littered with important pieces of information. And if you read the entire Bible in its fullness, certain situations, when you realize things that God has written over here and over here and over here, the situation you may find yourself in the middle of the Bible makes a lot more sense. That's why you can never just get through the Bible one time and say you know it all. There ain't, there's no way in the world. There's no way in the world one time through the Bible is going to be enough for you. Or anybody. I get how smart you are. There's no way in the world. The Bible is an inexhaustible book. Until you die, it's an inexhaustible book. And really, probably after that, you got to get to heaven. It may just, I don't know if it's going to be all instantaneous. It may just take, like, you know, download and, you know, depending on if you're Mac or Apple, just, you know, like beep, you know, how, how the internet speed up in, in heaven is. Even with that, like, my body hasn't complete, you know, it's in the process of change and it's going to take more than one and a half, you know, twinking of an eye, yeah, we're going to change. But am I going to be completely changed? I don't know. There's a lot of stuff to change. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that I feel is going to be downloaded because I, the more I open this Bible, the more I realize I don't know. And the more I need to learn, the Bible says here, we're in Psalms. I'm going to get myself over to 1 Kings, chapter number 17. It's a familiar passage. These are all familiar passages. They ought to be familiar passages. If they're familiar passages, God can help you. The reason they ought to be familiar is because when... You go through times that are, that are hard, it's often, often for me, the, the, the passages that make, that make the most sense and the most help to me in hard times are often the passages that 
I find somebody else having a really hard time too. This, is, this should be one of those parts in your Bible that, you know, the part of the Bible, you know, you just kind of like read it and you flip it over. It's one of those that where there should be a little line in the Bible that just shows it's been opened there about 100 gazillion times. Kind of like songbook, you know, the songbook in the jail, we have certain songbooks and you can just kind of flip them upside down and there'll be certain songs, maybe like 10 songs that you can just, you can just like, I know what that song is. It's been opened 100 gazillion, it's been sang 100 trillion times in this jail. That's what this part of the Bible is. For many people, the Bible says in verse 17, And Elijah the Tishbite, which was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before I, who I may stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. So let's go ahead and flip forward. In chapter, let's, uh, let's go chapter number 18. Now, Elijah here, in, in the end of chapter number 18, he has endured three years under the punishment that he effectively dished out to King Ahab, king of Syria, uh, not Syria, uh, Damascus. And the water that dried up in the land there has also dried up where he's at. And he had to go and he had to depend on the word of the Lord to feed him. And he had to depend on a widow woman sustaining him, which has all happened so far. And the word of the Lord comes and says, hey, it's time for you to go deal with Ahab now. Now, now Elijah, at any point, at my word, he said, which really was from the word of the Lord, so he was kind of waiting on God to give him the word so he can have the word to say, was the one, the linchpin in the equation, keeping all the water, the water supply from drying up. He, he's the one who said, hey, at my word, everything's dried up. And he finds himself here de dealing with Obadiah. We find many Christians like Obadiah, where Obadiah is, in fact, kind of like playing on both sides of the fence, but he's, he's really trying to do right the best he can. And sometimes you'll find in life that there are Christians like that, and that's, they're doing the best they can with the situation they got dealt. I don't like to really beat up on Obadiah too much. Well, you know, he should have, hey, yeah, listen, you get stuck under King Ahab and you see how you deal with things. He, at least, at least I know that he's got some men of God over here that he's, now, well, they're pansies too. Okay. <laughs> you put yourself in one of the positions of the prophet. They didn't just come out with a gun and shoot you. They tortured you and then killed you and then killed everybody that knew you. You read about how they tortured and, and Cut them in half and do all that. All that stuff happened to the prophets, not just Fox's Book of Martyrs. The prophets. If you read about what happened to Jeremiah, you know what happened to Jeremiah? He got set in a cesspool for Lord knows how long. And so this guy's doing the best he can with what he's got, and he runs across him, and and the meeting is set up with Ahab, and and he goes and he deals with Ahab, the biggest pansy king you can probably find in that Bible. The biggest wimpy pansy king you could ever find. With all due respect to wimps and pansies, you find Ahab, King Ahab, the big sissy. Can't do, can't do anything on his own without his wicked heathen wife's permission. Men, you ought to at some point, if you realize that your wife is in fact out of the will of God and wrong and Jezebel. <laughs> I, I would specify if she's like bad as Jezebel, you may want to make some, some course corrections in your family. Now, pray to God that she ain't that bad and be smart when you go to marry somebody and make sure you don't marry a Jezebel. Okay, there are, there are warning lights that are put all throughout uh, the kings to recognize a Jezebel. And if you end up with a Jezebel, God help you. If you don't have a Jezebel, thank the Lord. If you're not married, be like Paul <laughs> until, until you so realize how to discern between good and evil. Amen. We can amen there. I know we're all tired. And Elijah finds himself dealing with Ahab, a guy who doesn't even know who in the world caused his own problems. He's so far detached from his sin and, and the reality of his sin that he has no ability to discern the fact that he was the one causing all of Israel's problems, and in fact, he is blaming the prophet of God. He's blaming the judgment of the sin and not the sin for the lack of water. 
Needless to say, there's a calling where Elijah, who, by the way, Ahab respects because he's still too chicken. Like, if, if you're going to say he's the one causing the problems, be a man and just kill him, right? Apparently, Elijah or Ahab knew who the problem was because he didn't bother to lay a hand on Elijah because he knew that, in fact, when Elijah said, man, you're the guy, okay, he does what Ahab does. Okay, just cowers down. And Elijah says, 450 prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of the groves, call them, out, call them all up there to Mount Carmel. We're going to have a meeting. And they get them all together. This must have been crazy. Imagine, I mean, it's just, put yourself in the shoes of this poor guy. He's, he is, he's probably, you know, like a lot of times people make these prophets and priests out to be these big, huge guys. I believe Elijah was pretty well. God kept him just, I mean, he, you, talk about, you talk about dieting. <laughs> there was a diet, you know, to like, like a subsistence diet. I don't think Elijah had much extra fat on him. I think he was as skinny as a bone. He was probably a tall guy because he ran all that distance. He was probably more fit as a runner. I think he was a tall guy. He was, he was maybe a little bit older looking, kind of wore out, just like mentally wore out, physically wore out. He'd been waiting all this time for God to do something. He was at the end, like the end of the marathon. I'm just going to run and I'm running around. I can see the finish line. God, I know that you're going to take care of me. I know you're going to work this great thing in Israel. You're going to do this great, magnificent thing. We're finally, hopefully, going to get back to where we need to be. Ahab, if he's not completely done away with, at least maybe he'll return back to God and then Israel will follow him and I'm going to get I'm going to get to watch if not be the person that executes that stinking witch Jezebel and they get up there and Elijah sets up an impossible situation by any of our stretches of the imagination physically there's no way in the world anything could could create an offering there and, and burn it Prophets of the Baal and prophets of the groves, they didn't have much luck better. And then the fire comes down. And in front of all the people, this obscure man who's been living out in the desert, not even in his own country, is put at the very pinnacle of everything going on in Israel. There's King Ahab, there's Elijah, and God answers Elijah by fire. And now everybody knows that that guy's got the power of God, and he's the one who can fix the entire thing. And sure enough, the people start to move. And not too much longer, they're at the Brook Kidron, and Elijah's sitting there, whack, 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 whack. What is it, eight or nine hundred times? And the prophets, those prophets that have misled Israel and, and took them down the wrong road and, and, and given them over and corrupted them to other gods, their blood is now running down the Brook Kidron. And many people missed something there, that Elijah just had one of the greatest victories that Israel has ever had. There's a great victory there. He got to be a part of it. God allowed him to be an instrument to deliver, to move, to, to start to turn Israel in the right direction, to destroy something. Every time I read in my Bible and I read, and he burnt the groves and he did that, that ought to just give you a little spiritual kick. You ought to be happy when the groves get burned down when you're going through your Bible and the high places get whacked down and everything else gets whacked down. Why? Because that means that maybe, maybe if you get a hold enough God, enough God in you and you get enough right in you and you read your Bible and you start actually doing what the Bible says, then maybe you can burn down some of your high places. And you can burn down some of your groves and things where you're worshiping and spending your time where you ought not. And you're doing the things in secret that you ought not to do. You can get rid of in victory over those things. But we don't remember Elijah for his victory here. And the fact that of the very few people that I have read in the Bible that ever had the power and the ability of... Elisha is not so much concerned with Elijah. I mean, there was, there was men that he was around, I'm sure, that knew God. But there were also men that, he, that I mean all kinds of men before Elijah, yet it's where's the Lord God of Elijah? Where's the God? Where's the God? Because the power that came through that guy, where's that God at? I'm going to need that God. Now, we're only dealing with the success so far of Elijah. We all know where the story is going to go. 
not too much longer after, we find ourselves looking at Elijah as he's now running down the hill. He's done prayed. He's gone up. His, his servant's gone up to the top seven times. He sees the little cloud. It turns into a big cloud. It's starting to dump rain. He says, get down to the city, Ahab. It's about to rain like crazy. And he runs all the way down to the entrance of the gate. Means he was obviously physically fit. I think he was spiritually on a, on a massive high there. Everything seems to be going his direction. We can see that he is now starting to possibly develop plans in his head for how he is going to hopefully be part of the orchestration of the turning around of this city. I'm going I'm to tell him we need to do this, we need to do this, we need to do this. He's got lots of time while he's running. Miles, it was 17 odd miles, I believe, from the, t the tip top there to Samaria, Damascus, city of horses. He's got time to think and time to plan. And time to enjoy the success that God just gave him. But to continue this story, I need you to go ahead and flip over to the book of Job. There's going to be something we'll find in Job here. While Elijah is running and possibly contemplating all the good that may happen and may befall and, and how God can hopefully use him and the nation will finally turn around. And that's the goal and that's what we want. And that's what I've been spending these three years out in the wilderness, suffering and struggling and, and going from meal to meal and all this other stuff I've had to endure. We find ourselves in the book of Job. There's a very similar situation. Something that can add another layer to our understanding of Elijah. The book of Job, chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Now maybe Elijah wasn't like Job. Maybe he wasn't perfect, completely perfect, upright, feared God, eschewed evil, so much so that... Uh, there were very few people ever mentioned like him, but we do know that Elijah was an extremely important figure, and when it comes to doing right and enduring the things that man has been put to endure for the sake of Christ, Elijah's way up there. And we find ourselves here looking at a very similar case here of a guy that it says in the very first part of the verse, the very first chapter in the, in the beginning of the book here, that this man was known by how his relationship to God was. He eschewed evil, he loved God, and he did everything he could to serve God. Perfectly, upright, feared God. Talks about his substance here. And we find ourselves in verse chapter number 6. Now there was a day. Now as this day is transpiring in heaven, might I bring you back to consider Job, that everything in the world that is going on in Job's life is still in a state of perfection, spiritually speaking, holiness, uprightness, and he's fearing God as Satan walks into the doors of heaven. Much the same as Elijah is running down, hoping that this will finally be the, the revival that I have been waiting for these three years. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them. See, he hasn't been kicked out of heaven yet. It says he accuses day and night. And don't think that Satan spends too much time out running around in the deep and, and the, 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 the hoary froth that kind of follows him when he's out there. I think he spends a whole lot of his time standing before God accusing us. I think he spends most of his time there, day and night, day and night, day and night. And he took a break to, accuse, to try to, maybe he took a break from condemning us and actually tried to mess with Jesus Christ when he was down here. Maybe that was the only break that Satan actually took. As a previous business owner and as being in, in a higher level position in a company, I know that you kind of have people, well, the centurion. Let's just take the centurion, for example. I got people underneath me. I tell them what to do. I got servants. They do this. They do that. I think the devil's pretty good. I think a lot of the, the things we blame on the devil are actually the minions of the devil. I think the devil's priority is kind of like standing before God, where he's actually allowed to, for some, I don't know why, God lets him sit there and accuse us day and night. I think his priority is to do a lot of that. <clears throat> 
Why? Because, well, believe it or not, he's able to find all kinds of things wrong with us. <laughs> you live any length of time on this earth, and you realize the devil's got all kinds of dirt on you if he wants to use it. And if it wasn't for the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, he'd be able to, he'd be able to condemn you, and he'd be able to put you straight into hell and, and come down here and take you and throw you into hell and lock the keys. Lock the keys away with it. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, we talked a little bit about this yesterday in the men's prayer breakfast, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. Now, I got a note here. It's on 2 Chronicles 16.9. It says, this is just off the cuff. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro, in the, and I believe it's in the earth. I'm going off the cuff, on the top of my head, to show himself strong. Well, let's just go ahead and turn there. I don't want to butcher the verse. This is just a note that caught me the other day, caught my attention. Second Chronicles, chapter number 16, verse 9. Should probably write these verses down. 16, 9. The Bible says, For the eyes of the Lord... Now he's talking to a king here. This is... Uh, um, let me think here. What is this? This is the prophet, uh, prophet or a seer. Hanani, the seer, verse 7. So asked the king of Judah. He turned tail and ran. The Lord had given him victory. He had delivered him, and he turned tail and ran when somebody else came against him. And the Bible says here, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. So not only does the devil run to and fro, that's the terminology the Bible uses, the devil. I've been walking, I've been down on that earth going to and fro, walking up and down in it. You know the eyes of the Lord do the exact same thing? The eyes of the Lord, to and fro. Why? Because he knows that the devil is walking around trying to find something with you and trying to mess you up, and he's looking there to see what you're going to do when the devil shows up and does what he does to Job. And does what he does to Elijah. I would submit to you tonight that just as Elijah is running down to try to hopefully kick the doors through the gate, and maybe, maybe Ahab's got enough spirituality about him that he finally just either, if nothing else, just puts his, way, oh, his wife away. Best case scenario, eliminates his wife out of the equation altogether and has her executed for the evil witch that she was. That as he was running and thinking of all the good things that just happened that day, Satan, was standing before God saying, will you take that hedge down so I may do what I want to do with Elijah? Will you remove that hedge over his mind? Will you remove the hedge? He's running. He, you're giving him spiritual powers to run the way he's running. He's running in front of the chariot and just run like, like a maniac. Would you remove his physical hedge? And Satan's up in heaven. He is accusing, trying to find something he can get on a light. I want to just, why? Because I want to, just like Peter, I want to sift you like wheat. In the, in the greatest moment, probably, of Elijah's life, the devil's up in heaven, trying to do everything he can to shut him down as soon as possible. I just had a lot of people get out of Jacksonville. We just had a lot of good stuff happen this year. A lot of bad stuff, a lot of good, you know, it seems to me like all the, the peaks we've had, right? As soon as there was a peak, there was something right afterwards. It's the way the devil works. He's up there. Job? Have you considered my... Oh, oh you know the devil's considered. You know, he's got... He's, he knows. How, you, how do you know he's considered? Because he knows there's a hedge of protection about him. He's already tried to get in. He's already tried every way he possibly could. And when he's come up completely short, then God says, you, you, realize, you, you understand him? How he's perfect and upright, he is choose evil. Satan, he hates you. You know what God's telling Satan? I start to see on the flip side of Job where it talks about smoke comes, starts to come out of his mouth. I see Satan there. You know why I see him boiling through that great deep? Because of all the rage every time he stands before God and God points something out and says, that guy hates you, devil. He can't stand you. Like he ought to, because he loves me and not you. And I just see the devil's smoke just come up, man. Sparks leap out. God's probably telling Job of the picture he saw when he was talking to Job about, talking to the devil about Job. And the, the image on the devil's face and how he was just furious that God would talk about somebody loving him and hating devil. 
<laughs> and he could care less about his reaction with God. What he wants is, God, would you give me the keys to that hedge? And so Elijah gets to the gates, expecting maybe God will continue to bless the entire equation through the end. And instead, his plans, God's plans, as Elijah may have thought them to be, were different. Will you let me, God, since I'm the guy who runs the kings, the princes, the, the principalities, the powers, I got, I got ruler, I'm the ruler of the darkness of this world. I'm the ruler of the, the Sabians that came out and took all the sheep. I'm the ruler of the Chaldeans that came out and took all his camels. I'm the, I'm the prince of the power of the air. This is, this is my realm. I have the ability to go into Pharaoh because he hardened his heart against me. I have the ability, if he wants to harden his heart, God, will you just give me Pharaoh altogether and let me just harden it even harder? Yep, God, yep, sure. He wants to harden his heart. Go ahead, devil, it's open to you. Take all you want. He doesn't want to, do, he doesn't want to let my people go. He's opened the door for you. There is no hedge there. There's no protection. But God sometimes, even though there may be protection, he still allows the devil access. Why? Because you're a soldier, Christian. You're a soldier. You're not going to be a good soldier if you're always hedged up and he never lets you get into some, some amount of confrontation. Because the confrontation is what, what shows you who you really are. So that way who you really are can be changed to what you need to be. That's hard. You know, why does God allow good to make you better? Why does God allow hard things to happen to good to make you better? Don't you allow some psychologist to, to, to start asking questions and try to blame God for him making you better. You know what I've realized in my own life? The hardships when God sometimes drops the hedge a little bit and allows the devil to get in and just, just, just make it hard on me. So not, just, not because I'm you know, allow, you know, going out and becoming some evil thing, but the devil just wants to make it hard. He wants to wear you out. He wants to straight wear you out until you have, you have realized that all the energy you had that you were going to devote, all the mental energy, all the spiritual, every, all the energy you were going to devote to helping this kingdom get back to where it needs to be, you are now, that is gone. All the energy, I'm, I'm going to move in this direction. We're going to move my family in this direction. We're, we're, I'm, going to, I'm going to start Bible school. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. All that energy, and then God allows the devil to get in your finances. God allows the devil to get in your family. He allows the devil to get into this and that and your mental life and, your, and, he, and he makes you depressed and he does all these other things and that is, now, that is now gone. That thought is gone. And you're looking at this, the success of other people. You're like, God, I am no better than my fathers. Don't you think Elijah didn't have the sights of all, everybody behind him and all the success that had occurred. And he was thinking about David and he was thinking about Solomon and he was thinking about maybe, maybe even the, the early part of Saul and, and I'm thinking about Samuel and I'm thinking about all those judges and those are my fathers and I'm no better than them. I can't do any better. We're never going to get where we, want, where we need to be. You might as well. Devil's got him. The hedge is down and the devil's already, he's taken what little energy he's had. You know why? Well, why didn't God just give him any more strength? Why didn't God give him any, any more strength? For us. Because if he would have, Elijah would have never, never found himself curled up there under that juniper tree requesting that he would die. Because you've been there. Some of you all been there. Requesting, God, I can't do anything. The more I try, the more I try, the more I fail. I cannot do any better. I might as well, therefore, just die. You know, Job couldn't have done any better. There was no level of better for him to get to. He was there. He was better. <laughs> and God came and found the best person that he could find and let the devil have everything. Why? Because your cows and your sheep and your kids and all the stuff God allows you to have, sometimes that can be a distraction. And when God removes that, there may be yet something else that he has to tweak and work on.
And we find Job at the end of his days during that situation there, not the end of his life, but the end of his days. You know, he was the one who came to the realization that he was vile. If you're to compare yourself to God, I'm vile. So did, did he grow? Did he get better? What was it? You think if you asked, you asked the Lord, or you asked Job, if you were able to stand before God and the devil, mm-hmm. and the devil sitting there saying, I want to do this, 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 and this, you think Job would have said, let him do it again, God. It was worth it. Mm-hmm. We think that's insane. But that story is there to show that Number one, God sometimes will use the devil to beat you up a little bit and to wear you out so that way God can then deal with you. You know what I find? When, when Elijah's, now his, his plans are derailed, which completely messed him up physiologically, mentally, he was emotionally wrecked, whatever you want to call it, whatever trick, tripped his trigger. And believe it or not, people have triggers, that trip. No matter how tough you are, I've seen all kinds of people that I thought were tough trip. And some people, after they trip, they never come back. They never untrip. They're gone up here. And he's out. He's left everything he has. We never find anything. And that servant, he's gone. We can blame, blame the servant for not sticking by him. Say, you try to compare like we often do as, as humans and say, well, why weren't you like Elisha? I don't know how long that servant was around him. I know Elisha had, what, 10, 15 years. I don't know, you can't really blame, I don't know if you can blame the servant. He's running right next to Elijah. You think, he just saw that stuff. He's probably thinking of the same thing. Hold Elijah to the same, I'd hold them both to the same level. Man, if he's going to quit, like, if I'm with Elijah and he's the man of God, we just saw fire come down and then and all this happened. I don't know what to do. I'm just a servant, just a servant. He's gone. And Elijah finds himself a few days out in the wilderness under the juniper tree. And wouldn't you know it that before God shows up, you know who else is walking around there trying to mess with Elijah even more? Says he, he goes to and fro. And he just slips from heaven and he just kind of goes to that little thing and he pops right out there and he ends up in the wilderness. And, and there he is, that stinking, that stinking dragon, that lion. And Elijah's sitting there. Where do you think he gets the idea that he should just die? think that was of God? That's the devil sitting there. He's up in that juniper tree and there's a lion right behind it saying, you lost. You can't win. You tried your hardest and you failed. Why don't you just die? So the devil does find ourselves one day after the greatest success Elijah's ever had in his life, and one of the greatest successes in the entire Bible. It still is. Regardless of the failure of Elijah, that was a great success story in the Bible. God used that. There were 7,000 people who saw that who hadn't bowed the knee yet. And as a result of Elijah, probably never would ever bow the knee because of what they saw God use Elijah for. He didn't know about all that. He thought it was the only one. Thought he's the only one left. You know, the devil likes to make you think that you're the only one. One is the loneliest number. <laughs> Why? Because if he can get you feeling like you're the only one, you know, when you kind of think you're the only one, there's a little bit of pride. There's a little bit of pride there. We see that in Elijah's life. You got a little bit of pride. God, I'm the only one. God has to put him in his place. Elijah, you got 7,000, man. See, you don't know what I know, Elijah. I let, the devil, I let the devil have his way with you. Just a little bit. I didn't let him destroy you. And here you are, in the backside of the desert, thinking you're, you're defeated and you failed and that I'm never going to deal with Jezebel and I'm never going to deal with Ahab and I'm never going to fix all this other stuff and I'm never going to have my son come and die on the cross and all these other people are going to get saved and all that. And I might, you might as well just die, Elijah. But that's not how the story ends. The great thing about God is in spite of all that, in spite of, him le- in spite of him letting Job just straight up get tore up by the devil, and then by his friends, who I might add probably were influenced by the devil as well, 
saying all these things that we, you know, just a regular person would say, oh, this must be right, this must be right, and there must be some problem with you. Job, there must be some problem with you. Surely there's a problem with you. We, we see all this other stuff. We know all these things. We have all these case scenarios. All these things happen, and that person was evil. So therefore, based on what we have over here, all the knowledge and information that we have over here on humanity, which is the sum total of everything, and the devil's just feeding them. Hey, go ahead and say this. Oh, yeah, 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 you need, you got, you three, you need to help Job. You need to help Job fix his problems. Go ahead and load up your donkeys, get there and just say, they did the right thing for the first seven days. <laughs> Job's three friends, be it known far and wide that Job's three friends did the right thing for the first seven days. They shut up. They kept their mouths in the upright and locked position. And then as soon as Job cursed his day, well, you know, you must, have, you must have messed up. You must have did this. You must have did that. There must be some evil in your life. And the devil is just running around in that little circle. We find Job in the exact same position as Elijah. And except the juniper tree, it's the three friends. And they are, that juniper tree is little stickers. You ever sat under a juniper tree? You ever rolled around once? Yeah, I've pruned a lot of juniper trees. So I've been working underneath them, got prickled by them, and then you slip and you fall. And see, Elijah's all muddy and nasty, and he's got sweat and everything else, and he's calloused all over his feet, probably got blisters everywhere. And he, the best place he finds is under a prickly old juniper tree. That's where, the, that's where the devil will drive you sometimes. A worst case scenario. And we find that Job over here, at the end of the devil's torments, he's sitting there scraping off boils and pus and ashes, and he's got his friend sitting there accusing him of doing stuff he knows he didn't do. 30-some-odd chapters. But after that, both people get met by God. It says it came and he touched him. Angel touched him. So right around the time the devil is probably whispering that last little thing, that last little thing would have probably put him over the edge. Something came in, hey, you get out of here. You, get, you go find somebody else to bug. It's my time now with this guy. And went over there and he touched him. And he got up and he saw, what did he see? He saw a cake there. He didn't need abnormal psychology. He didn't need the DSM-5. He didn't need all those textbooks to tell him what his problem. He knew what he needed. He needed food. He was tired. He'd been running a long time. His, his mind was shot. His body was shot. That's what being in the ministry will do to you sometimes. Dealing with people for so long and so long and so that's what being in the jail, man, being in the jail, it's endless. You see people, you see the potential, you see where they could go, you see their family life, you see all these different things. You put all the pieces together for them, you're like, you just do this, 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 and as soon as they get out, they do, they do the exact opposite, and they never hit any of those points at all. And you do that for 10 or 15 years, you realize, my Lord, there's no hope for anybody. I might as well just stop the ministry altogether. None of them are ever going to get right. You know, sometimes when you're in that situation, you literally just need food. You need, that's why church is so important. It, it may not be the best food in the world, but it is food, and it will keep you going. Sometimes when you drag your carcass in here, and you are literally just, and believe me, there may be somebody in here who's mentally and physiologically, you, and emotionally and spiritually, you are Elijah right now. You are sitting under a juniper tree, though you are awake and alert right now. And if you did not get food tonight, then maybe the last time you ever got food at all, and you would just go out there and never come back. The interesting thing to me is that a lot of people like to get on Elijah. You know, he was done there, effectively. You know, God is already looking for his replacement. And maybe he was. Maybe he was. There's, every one of us ought to be looking for a replacement for ourselves. That's the natural way of things. It's the progression of things. But in spite of that, there was still a journey that God was calling Elijah. Even though he was dead, to, he had just finished a journey. He had finished two journeys. Running all the way down to the city, running all the way out in the wilderness, and God said, hey, buddy, <laughs> you got a long way to go. You ain't done yet. Hey, Job, you got a long way to go, man. You got a lot of other kids you're going to have. You got a lot of other things you're going to have. There's going to be more book. There's going to be more stuff written about you. This isn't over yet. I'm going to show you a little bit about myself, but it isn't over yet. You'll get it. And then you'll be able to help your three idiot friends who, who thought they knew everything about me. You'll be able to pray for them after the fact. And Elijah, what, what happens to him? He eats the food. Goes back down. Oftentimes it happens to us. God, in his mercy, 
will deal with this sometimes more than once for the same issue. You get down. You know what I see in Elijah? I see a lot of Christians. A lot of Christians get down, and they get down, and they get down, and they get down. And you interject, and you say, well, I preached at them, and I did a good job, and I, and I preached right, there, right down their alley, and they came forward, and they cried, and they, they repented. And why in the world are they back down? Well, why in the world is Elijah? You've got to get mad at him for being a human. You know, sometimes people get to the end of the rope, and they break. And when somebody mentally breaks, spiritually breaks, sometimes it may take more than one time down here. It may take years sometimes before they get up and they're ready to walk again. And then he walks the 40 miles, or the 40 days and 40 nights, bitter and mad and frustrated. <laughs> he ain't right with God yet. 40 more days, he's just walking. He's just, you know what, people in here, some of you are just literally walking, and you're waiting to get to that cave so you can actually meet with God. And then God will do something for you. And he'll he'll speak in that still small voice. And, but until you get until you get up, until you get people up off that juniper tree, that is such a critical moment. Why? Because the devil. You forget, Christian. You forget that the accuser hasn't been cast down yet. He's trying in that juniper moment. He knows where you're at. He knows where those juniper moments are. And just because the Lord is always going to be there doesn't mean that the devil's also going to try his hardest. If he's willing to try to tempt the Lord Jesus Christ, he will do everything he can regardless of what your name is, Elijah or not, to try to destroy you in that moment because he can destroy you and keep you from ever getting back up. I'm amazed. I'm amazed when Christians fall and they get back up. And then they fall again. <laughs> and they get back up. And they fall and they get back up. Yeah, well, I wish you would get up. Yeah, you know, that's something. Like Dad said, we're in, we're in a time and place where we may just be trying to... just pick them up and they pick them up and they're just falling their way all the way to heaven. Well, I wish we could just all run the race and do everything. Maybe God's not going to allow you to do that. Maybe he's just going to allow you to pick people up and pick people up and pick people up and pick and you're just going to be just like Aaron. I mean, he's, Moses' hands are falling down. Man, I just wish he just had stronger hands. Why don't you just keep holding them up, man? Like that's all you're asked to do right now. Just, just shut up and hold the hands up. Until the, the battle is done, until you see that guy get kicked out and they're destroyed, and you take your last breath, why don't you just keep doing what you're supposed to do? And Elijah gets up, and he walks in the strength of that food 40 days. And then he hears God. And Job, on the flip side, he has all that stuff happen to him, and then he sees God. And God brings up the devil in conversation in the last chapter. Job, you, you really think, like, n number one, Job, I, I allowed everything to happen to you. You, th you may think you're righteous. You, you have done some great things. As a matter of fact, you are you're perfect as far as everything goes in the time and place you're living. You're perfect, upright. You eschewed God. You eschewed the devil. Eschewed evil. Hated him. Can't stand it. But for you to get closer to me, it is going to have to involve the things that you think are the summation of everything good that I've allowed to happen. That, that stuff's got to go, so it's just now me and you. I don't want to deal with sheep. I don't want to deal with kids. I, don't, I just want to deal with me and Job. As a result of Job coming to the conclusion that, man, I'm, it's, I'm vile. I'm vile. There's nothing good. You realize what that must have taken for a guy who effectively knew that he was doing as much stuff right as he possibly could? I mean, in his mind, he knew that he was doing things right for his kids. And for him to, to sit there and think of everything, that he had all the stuff going through his head and then come to the conclusion when God just started showing him these things about himself. Man, everything I've done is... is my, my righteousnesses are filthy rags. I am vile. And then God restored everything he did for Job. He restored it all at the end of that. And then we find that God gets the last laugh against the devil. That's the, that's the great part of this is the devil sometimes gets used as a tool to get us closer to God. 
And then when we get closer to God, we became stronger and we're able to better defend ourselves against the devil down the road. That's the great part about this here is, is he overcame, both those characters overcame the stuff that God allowed. Well, I don't understand why God allowed, allows these problems in my life. I don't understand why God allows this to happen or that, that to happen or all these other hard, difficult situations. I don't understand. The question Christian need to always ask is, God, can you just keep getting me through it? Can you just keep me moving? Can you just keep me moving? Because I know that if I get to the other side, the victory and the glory and the honor will go to you, and I will, I will just be able to be a channel of blessing maybe for somebody else. And that costs me brushing sides with the devil. If God's allowed you, if God's allowed the, the devil to wear you out a little bit, Christian, it may just be for the benefit of 7,000 other people who all they have named to their names, they just haven't bowed yet. You think all the people that have been, you know, God talks about Job as one of those three men. You know how many people have heard about Job and, and when hard times come, they think of the story of Job in some way, small, some small way, shape, or form. And man, if he was able to get through all that stuff, it's going to be pretty sad when I stand before God and I complain about the things that, you know how many times that story has helped people when they come to hard times in their lives? Because Job endured because God allowed the devil to change Job and Elijah's plans. Dear Lord, we thank you for the day. Thank you for the church that we have here, Lord, again. Uh, thank you for uh, the fact that you do, you do control everything, Lord. You do make the plans. You, you allow things to change. Um, you allow hard times to come in our lives, Lord. This was a wake-up call for many Christians this year and the last year. Uh, Lord, that uh, not everything is always going to go the way we think it's going to go. We can plan. We can, we can try to uh, get our lives in order. We can try to, um, uh, Lord, do things for you. But oftentimes you'll still allow situations to change. And, and uh, during the situations, Lord, uh, sometimes hard things come in and we, we have to endure. So that way we can get to the next point in our lives. I pray that if there's somebody in here who may have some, some situation like that, Lord, something hard or just maybe a, a train of thought. They've been thinking about something and it's been wearing them out. Uh, mentally for a long time, Lord, I just pray you help them to come down to this altar, Lord, and just try to get some food, try to stand, try to get some rest, Lord, uh, like you gave Elijah, uh, Lord, and maybe there's something inside that needs to be fixed and tweaked like Job so that we could be a little bit closer to you, Lord. We pray that you allow us uh, to uh, intake that, Lord, do what we're supposed to do, deal with you on a one-to-one -one basis like you want us to, and uh, Lord, change if you ask us to. And we ask all these things in your name.